Hey ready. guys, welcome back to the podcast. Oh, no, that was a little, that was a little gainy. Hey guys, welcome back to the podcast. I'm your host, Bruce from Printavo. Really excited to have you back. <sighs> Sorry, guys. Phone is ringing. <laughs> we'll just keep it rolling. Thank you guys for joining. It is awesome. We're releasing the podcast every single week. We've got really cool guests. We've just got a lot of topics that I also just want to talk to you guys about separately of guests. But most importantly, thank you. Thank you for listening. It's It's been really, really cool. There's there's like 30 to 32,000 views of all of the different episodes and everything every single month. So that is freaking cool. Did I talk about that last week? I don't right. think so. I wasn't sure. Okay. I'm Bruce from Printavo. We've got Mr. Matt Markoff from Printavo. Steven's out today. What We've got up? producer Chris on the mic helping us set up and make sure our wires are connected correctly. I've got a quick ask anything, actually, Matt. And, and the reason I'm going straight to you, and this is perfect, is because I feel like you could answer this the best since you used to sell equipment. Hmm? When is it the best time or the right time to buy an automatic press kind of a loaded question because there's that that is low there's a lot of answers to that one so um i'll give you the answer that you'll hear a lot when talking about like financing and such that you shouldn't buy it until you can afford to pay for it outright right so a lot of folks will tell you now that doesn't always work right sometimes you need to get more work done so you can get the paycheck to pay it off and get things moving you might have opportunity kind of knocking on the door that is is too too hot to to mm -hmm. ignore um, what I tell people is that if you are having to do more time, spending time on press yourself, physically doing the work yourself, then you have time to go out and continue to get more sales streams. Then you should be looking at either getting a new person or getting an automatic press. Now an automatic press might cost more than a new person in the immediate, but it always costs less in the long run, right? So if you're a smaller shop and you're just trying to be able to have more time to get more sales, going to an auto may actually help you create more of that time. Um, so that's usually a good telltale sign. Another way to look at it is if you are looking like you're having to do eight, nine, 10, 11 hour days over and over again, you're exhausting your crew. Well, you gotta do something, right? You need to be able to get more done in that time because your people are going to eventually hit that burnout. That's another really big telltale sign that it's time to go automatic. Also, if you're finding yourself having to struggle because you're doing a lot of high color, high detail print work on a manual press, and you're just having to put all your might into clearing that 305 mesh or higher, that's also a good telltale sign that maybe you should be looking at going automated just so you can keep that higher quality. So there's kind of a lot of answers to that one. It's kind of specific based on, on that shop and where they're at. Um, don't fall into the trap of assuming though that just having that auto is going to make more work magically. Uh, it will eat more work quicker and open up more time. So that seems like magic, but just because you have the auto doesn't necessarily mean that more work is going to show up on the doorstep. Um, but if you use that extra time that you're getting, then you can go make more work. You said the word struggle. Is there different areas of struggle that are good signs? You know, you talk about order volume, you talk about complexity. There's obviously a physical struggle, uh, you know, are there any others that people should be thinking about that when you hit this threshold thing, you know, time, time to look at this? I mean, all those things. I mean, exhaustion, I think, is the biggest threshold, right? Like, if you're mentally exhausted by having to continuously figure out how to, like, jam work into an already packed schedule, if your people are exhausted because they're being overworked physically, mentally, just having to be in the building to get more done, all those things are, are big points. When I talk to shops, too, and I've been lucky enough to be in hundreds of shops, 
you always ask them when you bought that first auto, was it too, too late, too early or right in time across the board? hundred percent too late. I should have gotten it earlier. I should have gotten it earlier. So it's one of those things where hindsight's 2020, but if you're already kind of thinking about wanting to go to an auto, chances are you should have already gone to an auto and you should be looking at how is the best way to start making that step forward to get it now before it starts to become more of a problem and gets to let's late. talk about the financing aspect there's a ton of financing options i'm sure there's more and more every day uh but you talk about the thought of you should have the cash to be able to pay for it i don't necessarily agree with i i hear that a lot but i'm curious on your thoughts of of the different options here is it a revenue number? Is it a margin number? What, like, what are people looking for to know? Sh- I should have the cash to pay for this, and I'm assuming it's it may be used, it may be new, whatever it is, or finance that. I mean, when you're talking to a lot of these financial people, they're going to tell you you should have the cash for it up front, otherwise you shouldn't get it. I don't agree with that either. Um, I think in a perfect world, sure, but if you're on your first auto. That's a lot harder. Your second auto, it's a little easier to actually go that route because you've got a piece of automated equipment to help get more throughput to increase that margin and actually put some aside. When you're a manual shop going up toward your first auto, you need to make sure that you can, of course, cover all your bills, all your expenses, and still have that margin of growth. So the biggest thing I would say is make sure that you're allocating the funds you need to have. If you do have a couple bad months, let's say you got three or four bad months, you have to be able to cover the overhead, your people, the payments for the building that you're in, your rent, your, your, all those resources that have to get paid for. So if you can get through three to four months with no income, I would say it's probably a good time to be able to say, okay, I can put that money then toward working with Geneva or Beacon or whomever, your local bank, uh, credit union, and start getting some funding toward an automatic. Um, one thing I will also say is looking at your first automatic, I highly, highly recommend not looking at a six color. Um, a lot of folks will get into that six color eight station and they don't realize that you have to have a flash that you lose one station, right? You have to have a cool station. Then after that, so now you're two, so that six color is now a four color, right? So you want to make sure that you plan for the fact that you're always going to lose a couple stations for those, those needs. So if you're looking at your first auto and you're like, I can definitely afford a six color, I'd say hold off a little bit longer and get that eight color. Um, now if all you do is one, two color work and that's really the, the, the core business, then of course, yeah, six colors fine for most folks that I run into that didn't heed that advice over the years, bought that six color. They had to much more rapidly go after that second automatic press and kind of were kicking themselves for not just waiting another couple months and getting that slightly larger press to fit the needs of what their demand actually was. Makes sense. I've also heard this advice. Every time I go to a shop, I say, what would you tell your younger self? And this is one of the things. I think the other thing people always say is uh, automate the darkroom as quickly as possible before a second press, which maybe we should go into uh, <laughs> here too, is talking about a second press. You know, people do feel, oh, I'm squeezed. I'm running this thing all day. Should we do this? Should we do another shift? Where is the opportunity? What are your thoughts there, especially when you were looking at equipment or trying to help consult people? Absolutely. Um, so the jump from manual to automatic, I feel slightly different about just because the physical wear on the body is completely different. Now, don't get me wrong, loading at anywhere from like a 400, 700 per hour rate on automatic, still exhausting. It's a lot different than having to manually pull screens all day long. So when you already have an automatic and you're looking to go to a second auto, I will usually be more of a fan of saying, okay, how many hours is that 
press spinning. If that press isn't spinning 12 to 14 hours a day, I, I'm not sure why you'd want to then add a second press. I would say you need to maximize your throughput, look at efficiencies, see where you can lean things down. Where else can you automate? Where else can you actually spread that to get more throughput in before buying a second press? A lot of folks just buy a second press, third press, fourth press. They keep chasing that work. Well, there's still a lot of hiccups on the line above, right? So art's not automated all the best it could be. Uh, the front's not automated the best it could be. Your dark room's a nightmare. There's like different people coating screens. Things are a mess. You're having to reburn screens. All that is waste, and you're just buying more equipment to add to that waste. So if you're have at a one auto right now and you're only running eight to 10 hours a day, I would say it's probably not yet time for a second automatic press. I would recommend going up to 12 to 14 hours a day at least before you're looking at that. Now don't kill your people and make them work that long, but have second shifts to try to get more hours of that press spinning before adding another press. But with the second shift, a lot of folks will say, I don't want to be here that long as an owner. And I can't find the right person to help manage that second shift. So, you know, I, maybe I'll spread it out. I'll do one day in the weekend or like this is, is I can have a second press. Well, if you're going to spend the money in a second press, that means you can spend some money to incentivize a person instead, right? If you're going to go chase another anywhere from 45 to a hundred thousand dollar piece of equipment, or you can have somebody that maybe doesn't necessarily want to do it, but you can convince them, hey, if you do this, I can give you X amount more on your on those hours and push you into a role of supervisor so I don't have to be here. Mm -hmm. That's very, very helpful. And I've run multiple large-scale shops that had to have multiple uh, shifts. I was production manager, eight shifts running day, six shifts running, or six, sorry, eight, eight presses day, six presses night. I didn't come in at four in the morning and then leave at 11 o'clock. Right. You came, I in, came at six in, in the usually morning. Usually like 10 and stayed oh. to like seven <laughs> or eight. Exactly. Um, so you kind of like, you just kind of work in the middle and keep an eye on it. But you also train folks to have some accountability. They're going to make mistakes. They're not going to make the same calls that you make, but that's how they're going to learn, right? So I, I would always say it's still better to invest in your people and invest in getting them to be uh, more of supervisors and understanding how to help run the business and teach yourself how to also teach them and pull out and not have to kill yourself by being there 70, 80 hours a right. week. You know? That makes sense. I want to talk a little bit more about the financing aspect. Uh, cause I think that's important to cover as well. As far as the options, if you can mm -hmm. qualify, I've heard a lot of really great things about local banks or credit unions that you can work with cause they'll extend more. Oh, yeah. You probably have a relationship with them just from uh, your bank account so they can see historical transactions, which is great and, or just friendly with them. I mean, there's a lot that the people to people aspect can help with. Um, but I think that's a fair point. I mean, you know, you're not going to, let's say you have 400,000 in the bank. You're not going to go just go buy a house with all of that cash. Like why, why would you put all of that cash there into one spot versus you could still have the cash, but why not float it with somebody else's money, um, let alone be able mm -hmm. to invest that cash in other areas? And I, and I think where maybe it gets construed is because people get too stretched out, you know, a little bit too addicted to debt. You know, you finance one piece of equipment, you finance another piece of equipment, you know, and then, um, you know, you've got something on the building maybe, but. Did you ever see? I mean, you got to watch out too, because a lot of these, a lot of times, what I saw with a lot of shops is they're chasing the work, right? So what happens is that top line 
keeps going up but and up and up. Comes just, yeah. But this bottom line has stopped right. moving. So all you're doing is adding more stress, more right. chaos, more consumption. For no more mom For yeah. no real gain. Right. Right. And so it, it and, and some folks, they, 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 they thrive in that. Right. Some folks like that's what they're meant to do because then they'll eventually hit a hook and they'll start to bring that up. Right. That's for some people. That's not for all people. So I would always say, like, absolutely, unless you're someone that like thrives under that and like you just need to keep growing and, and, and be a massive shop. If you're not that person, then I would definitely suggest what I'm saying, like stick with one, get to two when you need to. And finance. There's there's so many great finance op- options. I mean, in the industry alone, I already mentioned them. Beacon Funding, Geneva Capital, they're fantastic. Worked with them both for years. But like you said, too, your local uh, credit union, your local banks, especially now where we're trying to keep everything more localized and keep it in town, they're going to be excited. If any of you don't have one, like go talk to them. Show them your bank statements. Show them your history. Develop a line of credit with the local credit union and get some more of that local in there Definitely. too. This is awesome. Guys, we've got a really cool episode today with Kristen Valdez out of Mighty Imprint. I was over in San Antonio for, I believe it was an MBM show. And I Instagrammed her, I slid in her DMs and I said, hey, can I swing by and check out the shop? She's got a, she's got a cool shop. But uh, she actually was starting to try to accept crypto. <laughs> um, for oh. payment. I, she did mention it was a little bit more of a gimmick to uh you know to be kind of cool or maybe get a little bit of press which i thought was a really smart idea um i don't know if any vendors accept crypto yet samar right no does brintavo <laughs> yeah no definitely not do, do we um but but super interesting <laughs> and, and more than that she also has pivoted to the four-day work week spearheaded probably from covid mm-hmm. A lot more, but her team, she's found us a lot happier just putting in a, a bit longer days and having less commute time as some of them are driving, you know, 30, 45 minutes each way. So anyway, really excited for you guys to listen to this Mighty Imprint story. We've got a shop tour as well from there that we'll drop a link down below. Chris can add that. Thank you guys for listening. Take a listen. What's up, Print Hustlers? Welcome back to another episode of Printavo Print Hustlers Podcast. I'm your host, Bruce from Printavo. This is a really, really cool episode. As you can see, we are live. We are hanging out. Originally, this was just a shop tour. And that video, if it didn't come out already, will come out. Uh, They've got a really cool operation in the back here. But we are with Kristen and Zeke. Valdez out of Mighty Imprints in San Antonio, Texas. They had such a really cool story that I wanted to just get this all on and just talk a little <laughs> bit deeper about it. All right. We got a hot 45 minutes. Thank you guys though for joining us. Yeah. Thanks for having us. Okay. Really quick. How did this start? How did the business start? All right. So in 2004, um, my dad was just out of selling a company he'd owned before um i was just coming back from college with an art degree and uh he was like what am i gonna do next i know i'll buy a screen print shop because that's what you do (laughs) when you have a daughter that's a designer so he brought me in here and basically made me the art department um i was forced to teach myself illustrator and everything from the ground up Uh, a couple years later out of necessity i ended up running the shop um had to hire a new artist lost my fun job um but over time i had a couple kids 
we, you know, were together building our own life outside of it, got very busy. So I decided to actually separate from my dad um, in 2016. Uh, started Mighty out of my house where I was actually hiring my dad to do the printing. Split up for a little bit. And then a couple years after that, I ended up buying him out, coming back, taking over and letting him retire. How do you do that? A lot of shops are family owned, but you know, how do you set a value to buy them? Was there any disagreements there or did it, was it pretty? No, I I mean, I would say valuing a company ever is very difficult. It's, it's a matter of opinion, right? Right. Um, Luckily I don't have any siblings. So it's just between my dad and I, we just kind of came to a, I don't know, an agreement and it worked out. Okay. I don't recommend it. (laughs) Really? (laughs) I mean, I ended up coming back anyway. So I think you really need to like know, what you want five, ten years from now. Okay. Yeah, so we bought the customer list first. And like she said, we were... How'd you pay for that? Or how like how do you value that one? We we set up a loan, you know, it was based on um, revenue over like a three-year period multiplied by some stuff. You know, yeah. super, super complicated. Some dice. <laughs> yeah. But a couple beers. Wine. Yeah. yeah. She was working out of the house. Um not even in an office it was just kind of like in the hallway at first yeah (laughs) the hallway at home you know we had two kids that were toddlers and a newborn and it got really stressful (laughs) again i don't recommend it (laughs) then you know her dad wanted to sell the rest of the company and uh we kind of talked about it he was trying to sell it to somebody else that kind of fell through and uh then we decided like yeah, let's go for it. Let's buy the whole thing, like the rest of it. And so, because he, he got pretty burnt out. Like, he was getting pretty burnt out towards the end there. He's the one that has an RV in the back. Yeah, but the best I'm part. jumping ahead, but. Yeah, but the best part, too, is that all of my team that, that I had assisted in hiring and or straight hired were still here when I came back. So, it was got very it. seamless So, you had me. the team. You knew who it was. Yeah. You knew who you liked and who you And all my systems here were my systems. They never changed. So, I just squished everything back together. Got it. Yeah. Got it. What can you talk about the RV in back? It's a beautiful <laughs> RV. They have a beautiful. Would you call it the Momentum Three Thousand? The Momentum <laughs> Three Thousand. I know you guys out there probably only have the Two Thousand. They got the exclusive. Only it's not three mine. I can't take credit for it, but uh, <laughs> I guess when I when when I bought my dad out, he was like, "Yes, I'm going to retire." Yeah. And bought that beast and drove around for a year. It's yeah. Like the coolest man cave. It's man cave on wheels. We were trying to do a uh, shop tour of it, but it, um, I think he can put okay, like three time. Harleys in the back. It's really, it's pretty monstrous. The first yeah. time I saw it, I was like, wow. I mean, it's huge, <laughs> but you get inside and it's, it opens up even more and it's, everything is really nice in there. I'm like, man, this is small yeah. compared to our house, but it's like a lot nicer than our house. Even. Wow. You guys have a nice facility here. You do screen printing, embroidery. I mean, it's not a smaller operation. Vinyl, You've got yeah. two presses. What? There was like a six and an eight and a one. Yeah. No, I got that. Uh, the screen presses? They're the, the embroidery has? Oh, embroidery, I have a 10, a six, and a one. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, how did Was that all from the business that you bought, or did you add that? No, so <laughs> at a totally different time, I want to say around 2007, uh, my dad bought out an embroidery company that was going under took his uh, equipment and his crew. So they were actually across the street and we just brought everything in, oh. brought the people over. 
So got the train staff too, which is huge. Yeah, I think we were outsourcing our embroidery to them at the time. Oh, that worked. Yeah, but it was quick. I mean, you got to adapt really quick. I'm like, what's digitizing? Was it always in this facility or this Um, building, or was it? Yeah, yeah, we've only ever been here. Got it. So brought it in. You were learning to digitize, and just what is embroidery? Yeah. Like yeah, at what's the core. I mean, we all it's, know what embroidery is, but you know, yeah. How do I run this machine? What's Wilcom? All that stuff. Right, yeah. right. What was there any things that you learned that uh, you would have done differently when you brought in embroidery, or when your dad brought in embroidery? Yeah, I mean, one thing is I, I was so focused on just figuring out how to get the art. I mean, we still use floppy disks. Get the art on the disk to the back, mm-hmm. and I was less concerned about the technical aspects of hooping and backing and tension sure those matter a lot i didn't know so a lot of times i was putting a lot of pressure on the digitizing when it was in fact operator situation and or you know vice versa got it got it um let's talk about last year covid year 2020 what did that look like for you guys so we were joking right on my birthday march 27th um the country shut down I'd already tried to prepare the team. We saw business was starting to slow as soon as the pandemic was in the United States. What did you talk to the team about? How did you explain that one? So I got everybody together and I was like, look, I don't know where this is going to go. I try to stay on top of the news as much as I can. I saw business was slowing. It didn't seem like it was going to turn around anytime soon. So I let everybody know, like, you guys need to prepare too. I mean, this is your livelihood. It's, it's my livelihood. We have to work together. Um, and so I tried to prepare them in this meeting. We talked about yesterday, one person, unfortunately, didn't seem to care uh, that I was trying to save them. What were they doing? She was just like messing around on her phone. And then afterwards was like, I don't know why you're like lecturing us about we need to save money and, and worry about this pandemic. And I'm like, she was over it. And so we were over her, I guess is how uh. I put it. Again, you know, if you don't want to work here, then we don't want you to work here. But you probably had signs of her not working out before this. Yeah, I mean, we were getting up to that point. That was just like, bro, you just don't care. That's fine. That's fine. You know, don't stick around. And I I didn't want to – I knew it was going to be hard in the company. There was no PPP loans back then. We were just barely scraping by. So, hey, everybody, don't make any major purchases right now. Be careful what you do at home. You know, because we have to work together. Then I ended up on March 27th, I furloughed everybody. Um, I even tried to furlough myself, but because I'm a sole proprietor, I can't. you can't mm. unless you shut the doors completely. Well, I wasn't going to do that. I have debt, right? Yeah. So, so we ended up getting the PPP loan. I was working out of my house selling masks from China direct to a bunch yeah. of customers. It was a wild customers. west then. It was a wild, oh, wild mask west. It was wild. <laughs> it was funny time. too because um, people started asking me for neck gaiters and yeah. we don't know what that is in Texas. We don't call them gaiters. So I had to Google that real quick. And then two days later, I'm selling thousands of them. So right. <laughs> you adapt, you know. That's awesome that you found a supplier though. A lot of people were trying to, or people I overstocked did. up. And now are like, hey, yeah. do you guys need a mask? I have 18 boxes in the back. I got really lucky. And the funny thing, too, we uh, I threw it on the website um, real quick. And for some reason, that like triggered the SEO really well. Mm-hmm. And so I got a bunch of customers that were like colleges from all over the United States that just needed blank masks fast. Yeah. So now I have a whole new customer base that I never would have reached otherwise. What percentage would you say you guys are back to normal? 
sales wise. I kind of have to step back there. I think we got down to fifty percent down at one point. Yeah, we're probably back to seventy five percent. Okay. That's pretty good. And you guys, but you guys, like, what's the split of the sales uh, types of customers? And it's seasonal too, so that's going to, you know, throw it off. Exactly. Um, we probably are 50% schools um, and, and a mix of retail, and the other half is souvenir gift shops and contract work. Um, we actually have a souvenir line. Um, it's not branded or anything. It's, it's kind of those cheap two for 10 shirts. Uh, but we have several stores downtown on the Riverwalk that just come here and stock up on their designs. Got it. So they buy your designs and you're yeah. just constantly putting on new stuff yeah. and stocking. No, I don't even do new stuff. Um, <laughs> I do more discontinuing than adding new. Oh. They really like just the same tried and true designs that we've been doing for 10 years. Got it. Yeah. Interesting. So that's a but big base, a little bit of contract and some walk-ins. Yeah, it kind of keeps the machines going. And when we have downtime, I can, you know, fill up inventory track it got it it does make it a little difficult though because even with printavo we're having to treat all these things very differently some are pre-printed some are not so so the workflow's different that's interesting the um a lot of shops are doing very different things as well um especially in the fulfillment end yeah so like you say i mean we walked back there you guys will see in the tour a lot of inventory that you're holding, designs that you're picking, designs that you're trying to get yeah. rid of. So it's just interesting, the split of different businesses. I really learned, too, that, and, and probably last year, forced a lot of people to figure out tracking and having some sort of metric for what you're doing will really save you. Well, like, what, what did you track? So like the souvenir line, for example, um, when my dad and I were working together, it was sort of just a paper system spreadsheet um but no real tracking of what sizes in specific designs sold more than others i started actually measuring that um you know i got excited about google sheets and (laughs) built myself a pretty good calculator and now i can anticipate what we really need Um, and so i don't have as much waste anymore got it that's huge what were there any other things that came of covid for the better for you guys yeah we losing the one person that you didn't want yeah we really i think we grew a little closer as a team um like i said i furloughed everybody and as i started bringing people back nobody hesitated to return um and even a lot of people were getting extra money off of unemployment but they wanted to get back to work and build the company again i'm so grateful i couldn't do this without you know a strong team um they're incredible yeah that's awesome yeah, we actually right now we only have six people. So. And you were at what before? Uh, I think nine at the most. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Got it. What, you talked about also prepayment. Yeah, so two years ago, actually, even before uh, the pandemic, I tried to switch people to prepayment because we were always talking about. Was that 50 or 100%? 100%. Mm, good for you. Because we kept talking about what, what are we going to do if somebody doesn't pay? What are we going to do if somebody doesn't pick up? Even if it's no fault of their own, right? Yeah, we we had a shutting down. I mean, yeah. understandable. You know, you buy all these T-shirts, you're expecting to have all these customers. Doesn't happen, and now we're holding the bags. You know. Sure. And once you print something, there's no going back. That belongs to that. But person, was there right? something that also happened since this was before COVID? Like, did a, did you, a big order come through? And people yeah, actually, this what? is really funny. <laughs> it's just a short version. <laughs> I had um, an accountant 
that decided to start a grown-up summer camp. It was going to launch big, and uh, Yelp got involved, and they were going to... Is it called Fire Festival? No. <laughs> it might as well have been. Yeah, but he sunk a whole bunch of money into t-shirts and merch and koozies and hats and everything because Yelp was going to sponsor this big event sure. to put him on the map. And two weeks before, Yelp backed out, okay. and he just never paid. Ever. But he was my accountant, so I had given him a little more leverage than I should have. Uh, lesson learned, I got burned like $2,500. Wow. Um, tried to take him to collections, but he filed bankruptcy. Oh, yeah. I mean, that yeah. was hard. Yeah. It's payroll, right? <laughs> well, it's not only that you lost the invoice. It, it's not like also freelancing. It's like, okay, it was my time. I mean, you had goods, you had printed, you have to still pay the team, everything else. So Yeah, and then that bad feeling of like, what am I going to do with all this merch now? Do I just give it away? So that do was the trigger the to prepayment. Switching yeah. to 100% down. What happened when you started asking? They, we got some mixed feelings. Okay. For sure. The new customers, they didn't know. You know, that's our rule. Okay, cool. But people that had been ordering from us for years were like, What'd you tell them? What is this all about? I wrote a little email um, to everybody and just kindly explained the nature of the business. I mean, we're printing something for you. We can't give what has your logo on it to somebody else your design to somebody else so really we're stuck i mean once it's printed for you it's either yours or it's trash mm -hmm. so it didn't make any sense for us to bear the burden um and we just we have a good return policy we're very honest if if it's our mistake we'll definitely correct it and what happened it 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 was okay ironically the people that complained the most yeah. that seemed to give me the most pushback um they never stopped ordering from me. So we're doing something right. <laughs> That's interesting. That is a very interesting thing. Is like, I think okay. you just have to ask. And then over time, it's just like it settles and you just move on. Yeah. And, and, and if somebody is really that upset about it, if that's going to break them, like I want you to give me something, but I'm not going to pay you for another 30 days, right. then maybe you're not prepared to right. order. I, <laughs> but you guys still do a bunch of schools, right? And we do in schools. schools. I mean, terms. yeah, we we're a, we're a, an approved vendor with a couple districts, so okay. you know, there's a whole PO system, and and that's that's a little bit different. Contract customers are on PO, mm -hmm. but even our contract customers um, pay at pickup. We don't even give terms. Interesting. Um, you mentioned that you wanted to start accepting crypto. We do. Yeah. <laughs> we definitely do. Tell me about that. About accepting crypto yet, but we want to look into it because it's kind of we see it as the way of the future. Kind of, I mean, hope, you know, we'll see. You know, but better to be prepared for it. You know, if and when it starts to become more and more popular, than to try to learn about it. You know, while it's happening. You know, and it's kind of already happening. Yeah. Just yesterday, El Salvador uh, made it law that it's legal tender over there, and I don't, I don't see that being the only country in the world that does that. Uh, we'll see, but it's interesting. Yeah. That sort of thing, you know, technology in general and the new things that are coming. So like with Coinbase, for example, people, individuals can use Coinbase, but Coinbase has a commerce side where you can do it for business. It's just not like linked up to QuickBooks or anything yet. So that's kind of where we're trying to fill the gap. It feels like also some marketing aspect too. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I um, I was telling you yesterday, I don't know if 
any of my current customers would be interested in paying in Bitcoin. Yeah. Quite frankly, I wouldn't spend any Bitcoin on something, but it's more, it's there if you want it. It's an option. It's just saying, hey, we're, we're an inclusive company. Crypto or dollar, bring it. <laughs> <laughs> it, uh, it could be interesting press play too. You know, local business starts accepting cryptocurrency for yeah. their custom apparel. Yeah, I mean, why not stand out a the little San bit? San Antonio Times. That's right. Front page. <laughs> um, that's really cool, though. I, I, I mean, it, you know, we were talking about this before, but uh, everything is crazy until it starts to become mainstream. Yeah. Right? I mean, thinking about taxis versus Uber. Yeah. Everybody, I'm sure, remembers the first few Ubers that you took was like, this is insane that I'm getting in this person's car or Airbnb. This doesn't make any sense. I'm staying at somebody's home like this. Right. I'm um, old enough to remember the Internet yeah. starting. So, yeah. Yeah. It's crazy Even times. Like delivery apps. I mean, you know, Grubhub, DoorDash. Yeah. It's like, what do you mean? I'll just go pick it up. I call them to, for takeout. Yeah. yeah. Favor and stuff like that. I never when it first came out, like, I'll just go to the store. But now, especially, I'm like. I'll just do a favor for it. Why do I need to do yeah. that? It's, it makes a lot more sense. Now. And nobody walks in and pays cash. I mean, we don't have a cash register or even a point of sale system. Mm-hmm. I don't know how many people do because we don't have a retail side, so there's no need for it. Mm-hmm. Um, the prepay is through Printavo or, you know, they'll mail a check. And even then, I'm doing a mobile deposit. Got so it. Got it. Nobody leaves. Um, I've heard a lot of people talking about four-day work weeks. You guys also talked about it too. Why did you shift to it? How's it going? So we have like a weird hybrid schedule. Everybody that works here kind of has a separate schedule than everybody else. Um, Our administrative team, our graphic designer, they work Monday through Friday, but we leave at three o'clock on Fridays. So we get a little bit of free time. My guys in the back though that are doing all the real hard work, um, they work... 8 30 9 o'clock till 7 monday through thursday and you know they're on their feet we don't have air conditioning so this way they get a good three days three-day weekend and everybody here is a creative also they're all in bands and they do you know side hustles so it gives them some free time too um and everybody likes it you just come back a little more rejuvenated that's Works awesome. Out. Yeah. Plus having on the commute too. Yeah. And I actually noticed our electricity went, bill went down because we cut out four to five days a week. All those Fridays where we're not running the dryers. And really? Turning everything Do you remember by how then. much by chance? Maybe 75 bucks a month. What was it at before? Like roughly now? This building's weird. It's two electricity bills because it's actually split in half. But I, I think it averages about $600 a month. So that's 10%-ish. Yeah. Yeah. It's a win for everybody. Yeah. Interesting. What, when did you shift, though, to it? We did that about two years ago also. Why? Because so, they're so hot. And, and, you know, another thing is on Fridays, there's probably a lot of shops out there doing the same thing. On Fridays, people want to pick up on Friday, and you're still printing their job on Friday. Yeah. That got too stressful. We actually started this sort of mantra around here that, like, it's just shirts. Yeah. Chill out. We're not saving lives. <laughs> so we tried to bring the stress level down for everybody. And part of that was everything that's due at the end of the week is done on Thursday. Uh-huh. So Fridays are easy when somebody calls in and they want their stuff. It's here. It's ready. Nobody's scrambling. It just, it just brought the like stress level down for everybody. How do you like working when it's a little quieter on Friday? Then? It's really nice. <laughs> I, I mentioned in the I believe that. video. Yeah. You know, sometimes it's like going into the office 30 minutes before you're open. 
you get to have that quiet, really productive time. Right. When it's quiet on Fridays, it's just the three of us, sometimes only two of us. And we also get to chit chat a little more, you know, just just enjoy being here together. I actually don't get to hang out with the guys in the back as much as I'd like to because there's literal separation. Right. Yeah. Right. You do a really cool thing on the fridge in the back. There is this uh, a lot of post-it notes on the wall and they all are like little notes to each other or something. What, what is that? Yeah, so I realized partly because of that separation of the crew in the back, like mm-hmm. we don't really get to say thank you to each other often enough. Um, so I threw some brightly colored post-its and a marker on the table and I was like, hey, start thanking each other. So every time somebody brings in tacos or just, I don't know, helps them pick up a box, we write a little note and stick it on the fridge. You start to really see how much you appreciate each other. It's really cool. <laughs> That's a really good idea, actually. Before you had started talking to us about how when you got started, especially how you were using like you wanted a designer tool. You're talking about just competing with custom inks and, and some of these bigger yeah. sites and then sort of figuring out who you were. I mean, can you just talk all about the 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 thought process of what happened through that? from your guys' perspective? Yeah, I think he, I probably exhausted him last year. <laughs> I mean, working out of the house, there were definitely some days where I didn't have a lot of incoming business, and so what could I do except try to improve myself, um, try to fix what was broken? It gave me time to take some marketing courses, um, go through all of Mike McAlevitz's books again. Hey. Yeah. Shouts uh, out Mike McAlevitz. You know, four-hour work week like all those things and I I really started to kind of take that information glue it together and realize we're a small shop I'm not trying to be this shop where everybody can just go online and throw their design together I didn't need an online design tool we talked about it realized nobody ever one time has asked me if we had one they usually go to custom ink take a screenshot and send it to me and that's what i so yeah let custom ink bear the burden of that cost right what i really needed instead was well and that's their niche right too right and so that's what it was all about and, and not They're even so much niche. the niche but selling yourself so i sort of dug deep and figured out what kind of customer we already work with who we've worked with for years who we enjoy and who really enjoys us right and then I actually did a little 10 question questionnaire from everybody and sort of found the common threads. And that's where we've pushed all of our focus now. What were the common threads that you guys were seeing? Well, we knew we didn't want to be like the McDonald's of <laughs> print shops, right? Uh, yeah. Not trying to be billionaires. I mean, we are, but <laughs> uh, <laughs> not like that. These walls actually have a lot of cash. Yeah, uh, that's right. You're shoved in. It's crypto. <laughs> you can't see it. <laughs> No, but I mean, it really came down to like people saying that we treat them like they're our only customer. They like that they can trust us. They often say, I don't know what I want, but I call you, Kristen, and you always just know. So, okay, I guess it's ex- they, they want the trust, the experience, the, the honesty. The I'll tell them guys, if it's a I mean, bad guys, design. And, and a lot of that, even for us, like when we're working with a vendor, I want to know that you're going to give us best practices. Right. Like what, what, what are we supposed to do for recruiting or support or whatever? And that's usually the software that we also pick too. Yeah. Not the, just the biggest like Salesforce or a HubSpot or something. It's like who, who is really can help us 
through this process because we don't know. Like that's why we're going to yeah. you to be able to help guide us. Right, and I've used Printavo off and on for years. I mean, we're all in now, but what, what I never stopped using was your knowledge base, your yeah. shared information, the YouTube channel. Oh, like, thank you, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it was something about Printavo and something that I want to do here is that community, share the wealth, you know, it's there's, there's enough for everybody. So, like I said, if, if a customer wants to work with us, we want to work with them, it's going to be a perfect relationship. Right. You don't have to worry as much about your quality, your price, your delivery, if you don't overpromise, you don't lie, you don't cheat, you don't steal. Sure. <laughs> Just be a good person. You talked about, though, they like dealing with you, and that kind of was a big foundation of like you guys responding back quickly, using speed. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and that helped you to pivot over here instead of focusing there. Yeah, because a, a, a website like Custom Ink, there's no personal touch. There's no human interaction. Yeah, <laughs> intimacy. <laughs> but our but our clients, they are often my age or a little bit older, and they're busy. They're so busy. The teachers, for example, they don't have time to go online and design something. They're teaching a whole class. They're a coach, you know, but they need shirts and they need it now. And they definitely forgot to order last week and they need it of by course. Friday. Yeah. <laughs> and so I Can give them realistic me, expectations too. I right. mean, I, like I said, don't overpromise. Be honest with them. Um, the worst case, you can't give them what they wanted. At least throw them a, a good option. Did you change your website then? Yeah. So we changed the, the front page. Um, it used to be like, schools t-shirts screen printing and it looked like every other site what is it now now it says we want to be your favorite vendor got it we'll slide up a little thing so you guys can see it right yeah there. and we do we we want to be somebody's favorite vendor we want to build long-term relationships have decade-long clients those are the best ones he came home with that idea you know that that little phrase and i was like that's perfect that's exactly what we're wanting to be heck yeah that's awesome. Yeah, That's I definitely. Really cool. I don't. I don't want a bunch of just people walking in on the street, and I'm never going to see them again. Right. Yeah. And he, you mentioned too, like, I mean, being polarizing in in what you guys believe in, in your views, and orders that you take or don't take too. Yeah, we had. Um, I mean, last year got really intense. Yeah. Right. There's a lot of or, yes, political, racial, financial divide. Um, it got really real, and at one point we were torn between printing two different jobs, one we definitely disagreed with and one we very much agreed with. And so I had to tell somebody, basically, you're fired as a customer. How'd you say that? It was hard, too, because it was actually like a friend of a friend. Uh Um, And we'd done work for them before. But yeah, they they wanted to print something that I thought was distasteful, and I didn't want to have my name on it. I mean, it's not like our logo was going to go on the shirt or anything. I just, I didn't want them to walk out in the world and say, yeah, my shirt's awesome. I got it at Mighty Imprints, because that's definitely not what we stand for. Um, So what I did instead was I called her, told her, I'm sorry, but I respectfully decline your order. She was like, I respectfully decline ever working with you again. That's okay. (laughs) Mm. Um, And so on the flip side, we talked about it for a long time and I typed up an email to everybody on my email list, suppliers, vendors, everything, uh, customers, just telling them like, this is how we want to work. And if you don't agree with us, that's cool too. Here's your out. And instead, we got really good feedback. Yeah, it was we scary. Kind of held our breath for a few. <laughs> yeah. That, that sure. That email, like, 
okay, we'll see how this goes. But I mean, he was like, the building might get egged. Like, you don't know. Yeah. You know, you don't know what's going to happen. I felt like being quiet was worse. Yeah. Yeah. That's fair. I think that's really good, and that's it's powerful. I mean, it's not just small. Co- I mean, Nike's a perfect example of they're very clear about, no, no, we believe in this. Yeah. And we're putting dollars behind this and right. commercials and this and that. So, um, You realize, too, as a local business owner, you have a platform, whether you meant to or not. Sure. People listen. You have an audience. So I guess use it for good if you can. For sure. Yeah. What does the rest of this year look like? For you guys, 2021. It, it You know, it went crazy. A month ago, I was really stressed out, to say the least. Um, and then it's like a switch got flipped and business just is back to normal. I'm getting emails from people that aren't even going to order until October, mm-hmm. just telling me how excited they are that they're going to be ordering shirts. Yeah. Never thought we'd have, like, okay, what's our next step? <laughs> you know, like, sure. And, and, you know, luckily, like you said, things are picking up. Yeah. So we actually have two different um, kind of streams of marketing that we want to do. One of them I didn't even talk to you about. It's called Booster Club Hub. It's boosterclubhub.com. We want to kind of do like Printavo and have the knowledge base for everybody that's coming in as a volunteer parent for Booster Clubs. They never know what to do. They raised their hand and volunteered one day, and then they got thrown into this mess. Sure. We've been doing this for years. So we want to share that information and hopefully get some business out of it. That's smart. And then on the other side, we want to expand um, a small client base we already have, uh, but go more national for parks, museums, gift shops, stuff like that. That's smart. I think the content aspect, the Booster, Booster Club Hub. Club Hub. Yeah. Dot com. Um, is really smart. I mean, that's what we try to do is just give as much info for free. Yeah. Because that that puts you guys as the expert. I'm right. the expert of the space. Oh, yeah. We Like, we need the fundraiser tools. Yeah. We need the merch. You need shirts. We, we make them. Exactly. So, yeah. We give them some value, you know, helping them, you know, hold your hand through the process. Right. What do you think maybe is the biggest mistake you guys have made over the last year or two? I, I would definitely say not focusing enough on sales and focusing more on the look, the brand. What do you mean? You can make yourself look good all day long, but if nobody knows you're there, they're never going to look, right? Um, I l- I'm, I'm not a salesy person, and uh-huh. we've never had a sales team. In fact, we've... We've not grown really big over the years, but we've stayed very, very steady entirely from repeat and referral. We've never put an ad out. We don't have anybody cold calling. Um, it's something I want to do. Definitely need to build up revenue. Yeah. Um, so that's been my mistake. I you think guys hearing this? Uh, <laughs> want to start sales. the outbound process? We, we've, uh, off camera, we've been talking about a, a really cool sales camp that we're yeah, I, th- I think in, if you if you look at everybody you've ever interviewed, they either started as a printer or yeah. they started as an artist or they got thrown into it. I, I guarantee very few print shop owners are just investors. Right. So none of us know what we're doing. We're all winging it. That's why this is good. Well, sure, every, you know. every small business owner, too. Right. Even the, the largest ones. There was a really good interview with uh, Elon Musk that he was trying to figure out just problems with tesla and so he flew over to meet with um uh uh who's the oracle ceo jason 
Larry Ellison just for a week and just to ask him questions. Yeah. Um, so it's not a small or big thing. It's a no, and I, I would say normal it, thing. Kind of to answer your question, also, my biggest mistake is not asking for help often enough. That's a personal thing. I'm I'm just really independent, so I'd rather Google it than sure. ask somebody. Yeah. When you have stuff like this, you have YouTube, you have podcasts, you get to hear other people tell their stories of failure. Like Mike McKellitz, for example. Right. And now none of us have to repeat his mistake. Right. So it's it's good. Wait, so with the sales aspect, uh, have you changed? So you said that was probably the biggest like missing step, but have you done something now to, to be more sales forward? Yeah, so I took a bunch of uh, marketing courses last year and really understood like what it is I'm trying to sell. I think especially when you're doing screen printing, embroidery, promotional products, you can get stretched real thin. Technically, anybody's your customer, but who is your customer? And that's the biggest thing is know, know your actual customer. Who did you find out who your customer was? Or who, who, is, who did you think it was and then who does it really? So I thought it was, well, who needs shirts the most? Okay. Restaurants, you know, uh, warehouses, you know, stuff like that. Um, and then I realized the people that have been ordering from us for 10 years are those gift shops. We have a bird of prey conservancy down the street. We have a museum. We have a um, a ghost town gift shop in West Texas that is really, really popular and we get to do all the shirts. And we get to do the same designs over and over again. So there's not a lot of design work. There's not a lot of setup. It's just quick phone call. I need another 150 shirts. We're on it. It's a good feeling to make those same people happy. And uh, I realized for us, it had way more to do with our consistency and our kindness than our sales. So we're just going to take that and try to turn it up a bit so people know this is who we are. That's awesome. I think the one of the biggest things is surveying your customers about why they like dealing with you guys. Yeah. Um, and just tell us more about that so you, you understand the language they're putting it in too. And instead of what, because we do this too, like we think it's this and we use this tech, more technical maybe language, but it's really, it's a lot more simplistic than that. Yeah. Like we wanted to have like online payments and all this stuff. And, you know, we talked a bunch of times, like how tech forward do we want to be? Our customers want to mail us a check. Uh-huh. They want a PDF invoice. They <laughs> Emails freak them out sometimes. And for a while, you know, that was frustrating for me, but now I'm realizing like, they, they need it to be so easy that I'm basically handing them the invoice and handing them the shirts and they just give me the money and walk away. It's got to be quick. Yeah. So all that extra stuff is extra. Less is more. That's awesome. This is Kristen and Zeke Valdez out of Mighty Imprints in San Antonio. Thank you guys so much for, Thank you. for doing our first uh, live interview. First <laughs> of many. All right, guys. I'm Bruce from Pontawa. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. We'll Bye. see you guys on the next episode. Thank you.